It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You are Locked On Cowboys, your daily podcast on the Dallas Cowboys. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Cowboys podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Marcus Mosher of Pro Football Weekly and the NFL 1000. You can find me on Twitter at Marcus underscore Mosher. I did some things for Bleacher Report this week, wrapping up the Cowboys picks. Go ahead and check that out. Joining me today is the one and only Landon McCool. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at McCoolBTB. He was at the draft in Dallas for all three days. Landon, I missed you, buddy. How was the draft? It was good. I actually, but I actually only made it for two of the three days because of that third day was uh, I was exhausted by the third day. But I definitely oh. made it out for the two, uh, the first two days, and it was amazing. It was kind of just a, an amazing spectacle overall, uh, and. Clearly, we have a lot to talk about because, uh, I mean, the last time we had a pod, uh, you know, <laughs> this team looked mighty different. So uh, we, we got yeah, a lot of things it, to cover. And before we do that, just one quick question. Were you booing Roger Goodell when he stepped on the stage, even with those three Cowboy legends? Let me, let me just quickly. I, I, I was, you know, credentialed in the media section. Um, and, you know, the whole the whole deal is when you're in the media section, you're not really supposed to. It's like, you know, it's the same rules as the press box during games. You know, you, you're not supposed to show allegiance or uh, 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 emotion. Uh, but to answer your question, of course, of course, I booed <laughs> Good. Roger That's what Goodell. I hear. Of course, I, That's I booed awesome. him. Yes. And, and again, I, I will All say right. this: as someone who's been to a whole bunch of Cowboys games, I don't know that I've ever heard that building as loud as the the boos were uh, for for Roger Goodell. So, so during the season when the Cowboys need that crowd to get loud, they just need to put a picture of Roger Goodell's face on the jumbotron. That, You're that joking, but that would do it. That would totally work. No, it would be. It, I'm 100 percent serious, but I don't know what Goodell would think of that. Um, all right, let's go ahead and talk about some of the things that happened over the weekend. Uh, this is the way the show is going to break down. Uh, we've got a, a potential retirement to talk about, a couple trades, and we're going to look at the Cowboys' first three picks. Uh, over the next week, we're going to break down these picks. We just didn't have enough time in one podcast to break down every pick adequately. Uh, so we're going to be doing that throughout the week. Um, and we're also going to have a special show just looking at the undrafted free agents because there's a bunch of names on that list I think we really need to talk about. Uh, but let's go ahead and jump into the, the biggest news of the weekend. Um, and it was on Friday afternoon. Uh, it was reported by Chris Mortensen that Hall of, potential Hall of Fame tight end Jason Witten uh, is potentially going to retire uh, to join the Monday Night Football crew. Um, right before we jumped on this podcast, there was another report from Chris Mortensen that uh, Jason Garrett is trying to get him to come back for one last season. Um, what do you make of all this Jason Witten news, Landon? Well, it's tough. I mean, you know, we kind we kind of got completely blindsided by it, and you know, I don't know. I, I think also at the same time, like, uh, at the same time, I also feel like we had heard kind of rumblings that he was considering a broadcasting career, and everyone kind of had sh- you know, shook it off at that point. But 
you know, I really would love to know, and I don't know that we ever will know, like when the Cowboys started getting word of this, because I feel like that would be, that's kind of interesting information to know, to kind of put into context uh, how they're responding to it. But I think that, you know, ultimately, I mean, first off, you know, what do you say about Jason Witten? Like, I mean, what is there to say that hasn't been said besides, you know, you talking crap about him all the time? What is there to say? As you say, say, depends on who, depends yeah, on who you ask, right? I mean, listen, <laughs> but seriously, Marcus's ridiculousness aside, Jason Witten has been the, you know, the, the, the model for what they the Cowboys have wanted for their, uh, from their players Absolutely. since he's been here. You know, I mean, sure. as a person, a player on the field, on, off the field, you know, I, I think without a doubt. I mean, he, he has he potentially lost a step or two, you know, absolutely. Like that is very much the reality. But the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, his, he has maintained a level of consistency and reliability that is, I mean, it's ridiculous. Like, especially for a non quarterback, you know, like for him to go out there and to show up week in, week out, despite whatever nagging or and or serious injury, whether his spleen is about to explode, whether his jaws hanging off his skull, uh, the dude shows up to the games and plays in them. And, you know, maybe he doesn't always catch 100 yards, 10 catches for 100 yards and two touchdowns, but he has found a way throughout his 15 years on this team to uh, to continuously make plays, f- get first downs on on, thir- on criti- uh, you know, crucial third downs, uh, and, and make plays uh, despite being you know sometimes ten to fifteen years older than the people that are on the field with him. So uh, you know, no matter what happens to him, I, I mean, I'm just gonna kind of give my spiel. I mean, kudos, and there's not there's not enough things I can say in this world about Jason Witten because uh, he's a, a hell of a man. So if this is really it for Jason Witten, how much are the Cowboys going to be missing him on offense? Or do you expect them to kind of change the entire way that they play offense without uh, a Jason Witten on the field? Yeah, I mean, I kind of think that, you know, I, I, I've been I've been kind of saying for a little while that I, I feel like the offense was going to take another large step towards change this year. Um, and, you know, whether it's by you know, necessity because of players uh, leaving or being, you know, forced out the door uh, or otherwise, I I think that what we're seeing is a continuation on this. And, and I tend to think that, you know, you, they, I tend to, that's why I kind of got to go back to my question of when, when the timeline of this was, is because I, I tend to think that they looked at this as the opportunity to go, okay, well maybe now that, you know, if Jason is leaving, uh, we can take an opportunity to take a step towards, uh, you know, not, not, you know, not being so beholden to that uh, uh, that type of tight end. I guess is the best way to put it. You know, being a little bit sure. more flexible with how they use the tight end. You know, with with, with Witten, he, he was going to demand to be on the field all the time, and because of who he was, he you know he he got a, a ton of snaps. Now, what, does that mean that if he's gone, that they start doing a little bit more of what they were doing with the wide receiver position at tight end as well, a little bit more by committee and and you know, you know, collecting players with particular skill sets and using those skill sets to their best advantage and and, and creating mismatches in, in scheme that way? I don't know, but I think you know, look, 
they're going to try to get Jason Witten back because they I think that they think that they can get a good player out of him, and I understand that. But if if he doesn't come back, I think that you know likely what we'll see is more opportunity to spread the ball, uh, spread the formation out a little bit, trying to isolate the the defenders in the box with the offensive line, and and not you know bringing more players in the box with tight end. Um, and, and and seeing how they can mix mix and match those things and, and and a lot more I think of creative blocking in the box with uh, you know wide receivers with uh, you know fullbacks that sort of thing I just think that the, you know what you're going to see is they're not going to put a tight end on the line of scrimmage to block unless it's a guy who's ready to kick a defensive end's butt you know because I think at times you know the issue has been with Witten is that. He's always been a good but not great blocker, and as he's gotten older, he's kind of slipped away from being a, a good blocker. And it's, at times, it's created mismatch problems in the run game uh, when you, you'd rather just not even have a guy that's a, a negative uh, against yeah. his mismatch in the run game. So I, I think it gives them more opportunity to do more things that give their uh, that give them advantage. You know, that give them advantage against their def- the defense they're playing. It's certainly going to be a situation that we're going to have to watch to see how it ends up. Uh, I, I Listen, I kind of have a feeling he's coming back for one more year. I, I don't think he was going to leave them high and dry this late in the process, but uh, I just feel like they're going to get one more year out of Jason Witten. This is going to be his farewell tour, um, and, and and then he'll be gone. But uh, it's we'll have to see how it plays out. Let's go ahead and move on to what happened on Thursday and Friday, we're just going to talk about the Cowboys' first three picks now. Um, and then we'll go ahead and start with round one. At pick number 19, uh, the Cowboys had their choice between Harold Landry, uh, a couple different offensive linemen, uh, but they went with the guy that we kind of targeted the entire draft process, and that is Leighton Vanderesh, the linebacker from Boise State. Uh, wasn't my favorite pick because I have questions about uh, Vanderesh's ability to take on blocks, uh, his durability, uh, being just a one-year starter. But you can see why the Cowboys did it. Uh, the linebacker situation killed them last year. Uh, and they know that Sean Lee is a guy they can't really count on for all 16 games. Uh, Jalen Smith might not be a starting caliber linebacker in the NFL. So they went out and got a guy that they believe is an ascending player um, in Vanderesh. What did you think about the pick? First off, stop with the Jalen Smith stuff. Stop it. Uh, well, listen, I, I, I think I, I think right now you have to plan on him as a part-time player. And I, I'm not saying this in a bad thing. I think if you wanted to get the most out of Jalen, that's probably the way to do it. Try to keep him maybe to 30 snaps a game, and you're going to get a much more productive player than a guy that's going to be forced into a middle linebacker role every single down. I think you're going to see all three of these guys when healthy play 45 to 50 snaps. I, and, I, and that I, would be I, ideal. That that's ideal, right? But I, also but think I, I don't that, think that I don't they're think not that all going to be healthy probably. This is not a situation to me that I, I mean I think that we're we're hearing more and more that they want to play three linebackers. I think that this was that's a lot of what's going on here. But I also think I don't think that this is like everyone wants to pin this as an indictment on Jalen Smith which it it isn't, and and I understand why some people don't like him, but this is a good player, and and I, I you know, I, I see the tape, but I, I see what this guy is, and 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 you watch the progression that you see just in the last part of the year, and you know it's funny because they 
they knock you know everyone knocks Leighton Vanderesh twice, which is which is funny to me. It, it, I really do feel like Vanderesh to me is the guy that a lot of people this season have gone out of their way to try not to like. Because um, I think that there are things. No, about, not me. No way. I'm not saying. Well, <laughs> I mean, you kind of do that with several people, but I. But listen, not even not just you, but a lot of people just. I feel like they regurgitate talking points about this guy because they don't love him. And but and I'll give you an example. What I was talking about him being knocked twice is that they talk about his inexperience, and then they also talk about his inability to take on blocks. Like like those two things aren't exactly you know related to each other. Uh, you know, I think that what you've seen is. But I don't guy. think physical. I don't think. I don't think him being physical is in his nature. Like, that's, I, you know, there's I, some see, guys I, that just walk that, on the field, though. That's just that's nuts to me. I, I see a guy who likes who likes to be physical, who doesn't know what he's doing all the time when he when he gets to where he has to go. And I, I see. I don't like. I, I think that the the technical ability to take on blocks, which by the way, when we asked him after the draft how he was taught to take on blocks, he was told that he was told taught only to rip and run. So that means that he, this guy has never been taught to get square and take on blocks. He's been taught to run around blocks. So, uh, th- you know, now we're knocking him for A, not being physical, and B, not taking on blocks, and C, not having That's enough correct. experience. When, when B and C are the same thing, and A is just a result of seeing B and C. So uh, I, th- I tend to think that this is a guy that, you know, and, and again, we're also talking about something that is not even the majority of what he's going to be asked to do as an NFL linebacker, even as a Mike linebacker. We're, talk- we're talking about in the NFL, he's more than likely going to have clear paths. He's more than likely going to be able to get around these guys, and he's going he's, you know, he's to be in coverage where he is – you know, he excels when you get a big guy who can move, who's agile, who's got a good football IQ, who's got long arms. He closes passing windows quickly. He gets into he gets into passing lanes fast, and he that's makes my plays favorite thing the, he does. Yeah, and that's he can the majority of what he's run. gonna do. You know, this is the NFL. Like this, we're it's a passing league, and now you've got a guy who's 250 pounds. You you think that has the a physical ability to take on blocks if you could teach him, or the physical ability to be you know. A, a tackler and i think that you know everyone wants to come at him because you know he's not the superstar name it, it just it, it was weird to me that like i you know look i like him and i like rashawn evans very similarly i don't understand why evans doesn't get the same level of like critique that vander esch is it's because of the what the minuses are you know, because the minuses are, oh, well, he didn't have a lot of starts. I mean, you know, I think to me, it's prospect versus production. And I think and this is the Van Der Esch versus Evans question is that to me, Evans looks like he's a better, you know, player who is coming out fully formed. But but to me, Van Der Esch looks like much, much, much better prospect. You know, and, that and he's can I counter that places. though real quickly? Be- I think in today's NFL and Sean McVay was talking about this in a Sports Illustrated piece a couple weeks ago, but. The, the the Rams are sorry not the Rams. The entire NFL has about a third less practice time than they did six years ago with the new CBA. So I, I I'm almost wondering if the way to go is get these guys that are ready to come and contribute right now, like Evans. And listen, I don't think there was a huge gap between but Evans and see, Van Rush. And I don't I, I don't want to get go ahead. I'm sorry, but I want to go back to that. I want to go back to that Rams report. Go ahead, but go ahead. Well, it was just that Evans had he played in 53 games. That's an experienced linebacker that comes from. One of the be- the best program in all of college football, coached by one of the best defensive minds in all of, you know of all the United States. So uh, 
I guess I thought Evans was a guy that you could plug in and play and not have to worry about, you know, maybe taking a year or two to get him up to speed. I mean, how many starts did Calvin Ridley have? What what was what was his what was his uh, athletic testing like? By the way, I don't know if you knew this. Calvin Ridley went to Alabama, which is one of the best programs in the country, Marcus. So there's your argument used against you. Then on top of that, I'd like to talk about this. He was coached this, by Paul Bryan, man. I would like to talk about this <laughs> this Rams report, which I read, and I I don't know why people aren't laughing and saying, "Hey guys, why didn't you uh, break up this report by position?" Because they just did a universal report about the NFL as a homogenous thing that a player can't, you know, won't take to coaching over a doesn't get enough practice reps over three years. Like it won't matter what position they're playing or what schemes being taught to them. Th- that whole thing to me is so like half thought out. <laughs> and and I think the thing about this is that if we're gonna make if we're gonna sit here and make out make the argument that players can't be. Uh, you know, coached or, or uh, coached up, then we should stop. We should stop looking at testing altogether. We should stop. No, no, we should I don't stop think it's. A, I don't think it's that can't be know? coached up. I, I, I just wonder with the way the NFL is now, with a lot of teams going this four years and out. You know, you draft a guy, you let him hit free agency, and then you you move on. I, I'm just wondering if that that's not the best way to go. Does that make sense? I, I think by the end of their rookie contracts, I, th- I actually think Van Rush will probably be be better than Evans. Do you but think will Evans do, give you more? Do you th- but we, we, go ahead. Do you think that Leighton Vander Esch, if he kind of, you know, let's say he gets to eighty percent, eighty five percent of what we think he's going to be, right? Like, let's say he gets, sure. he he improves to to eighty five percent of what his ceiling, his true ceiling is, right? Do you think Leighton Vander Esch in the six, in his sixth seventh year is going to be better or worse than a linebacker that you draft at the back end of the first round? Do you have to replace him as he after he walks out the door after having gotten five or six years of of of, uh, of you know experience at the position? I, my point my point is is that this is not. Uh, this is this is an individual equation that we should be doing for each one of these players, sure. and and I think that you know we that we shouldn't be, you know, cycling these guys out the door as they come, you know, because they're not a position that you know necessarily has value, and not you know considering whether or not they may be worth more than that, or they may be you know more valuable than the average person or the situation, you know, the default situation. I think it's something that is a is a way that you lose good players so uh, and and again and i i think to, to kind of transition this out of the just Leighton vanderish you know because we'll talk about him obviously ad nauseum i i think the other part of this argument the, of this argument that needs to be made is that when put into context with the the next two picks and the top three that they took overall uh in the draft i think that that's fair I think that it obviously played out the way that we we were all happy because we knew that we needed certain things to happen. I think that they felt like they selected the positions that they needed in the correct order to get optimal value. Maybe you picked a second round, a high second round player with a low you know first round pick, but you also probably picked a second round player with your second round pick, and you probably also picked a second round player with your third round pick. And and people need to understand that that was probably uh, made possible by the order in which you picked those those picks. And so I, I think that's why it's you, we can judge him as as a whole. And we'll definitely you and I will be having conversations about Leighton Vanderish for a long time. But let's let's judge the the pick itself, not the player based on wh- where the pick fit in the larger picture of the draft, because I think that's 
probably a large factor in how we should be grading the pick, you know, not so much the player. Sure. So one quick thing on Van Resch before we move on. Um, I, Again, I, I wasn't a huge fan of the player. I gave him a second round grade, which is, isn't awful. No. Um, but when you listen to him talk, you fall in love with it, his football personality. The guy absolutely wanted to be a Dallas Cowboy yeah. uh, since he was a little kid. And that matters because he 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 is going to appreciate what it means to be a Dallas Cowboy. He talked about uh, his love for Sean Lee and growing up wanting to be uh, Sean Lee. Um, he's so excited to work with Ben Bloom. Uh, and Sean Lee to develop. So I think that's another part that gets you excited. They want, and I know it's cliche to say, but they want the right kind of guys um, in that in that room. And I think Van Der Esch fits what they're looking for. And, and that's um, the let's toughest go ahead. part. Go ahead. That's a, real quick, just generally with this stuff. You know, that's the, always the toughest part, is that we don't get to talk to these guys. We don't get to see the medical. So there's those are two huge, huge portions of these players' evaluation. Maybe not the two biggest parts, but two parts that can – you know, immediately disqualify or bump up a player significantly that we get zero access to. And that and that's ultimately what makes the draft day so surprising to us is that these guys fall rise and fall based on medical or, you know, you know, interviews and stuff that we are just absolutely not privy to. Yeah, so I, I'm optimistic that he's going to be a good player. We'll see what type of, you know, ceiling he really does have. Uh, moving on to the Cowboys' second-round pick, which was offensive guard, which he was announced as, uh, Connor Williams from Texas. Um, this could not have worked out better. Uh, they actually, I think, tricked the Eagles into believing that they were going to take Dallas Godert at 50. <laughs> the Eagles traded up ahead of them, took Godert, and the Cowboys just stood pat and, and drafted Connor Williams. Uh, he is a guy that I really like this film. I, I, I actually think he might be able to play left tackle in the NFL because his feet are so good. Um, he's so athletic. Um, I, he was the very first player that I studied for this 2018 draft, um, and I loved this tape. I gave him a late first-round grade, um, and the more that I'm reading about him and kind of researching his background and talking to some guys um, at Texas, the more you just absolutely love the person uh, with Connor Williams. He had a great story uh, growing up being bullied. He wrote this amazing letter uh, to all the people that bullied him and kind of made him the person that he is today. Um, just 20 years old. And, and I, listen, this is probably my favorite pick of the draft because I love uh, the Cowboys investing more into their offensive line. I love his personality. I think he's going to fit in really well uh, here in Dallas. What do you think about Connor Williams? Yeah, I mean, just, just to comment on the pick first before I talk about the player, but I, I think that it's easy to see why this is most people's favorite pick. And, it, and I think probably it's my favorite pick too. Um, you know, the fact that they, he was available at 50 was, I mean, just incredible, incredible value for the Cowboys. Uh, and the fact that he fell that far and they were able to get him, uh, you know, I think, again, as you said, to me, the thing that really makes this pick so fantastic is the recommitting to the offensive line. The the fact that the, the, the Cowboys see, as we do, as we see, that they need to put the, you know, they need to put the question of whether this offensive line is elite to bet. They, you know, like this, they need to shore up and completely make that line ready to be a dominant force because the other teams across the league and in the division have loaded up on their defensive lines, you know, and, 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 and our offense is essentially based on the idea that the offensive line is dominant. So we couldn't afford to just plug a, a guy in at left guard. 
You know, like and that and I hated that idea of just, oh, Marcus Martin is enough to that's fine. You know, I you know, or we can go get Jonathan Cooper. That's that is that's completely resigning. Uh, You know, people want to talk about things that would make them mad, you know, letting go Dez, all that other stuff. If they had done nothing about their left guard, that would have made me mad. Because I feel like this is the identity of who this team is. Not Des Bryant in the past game. Not you know all. Uh, not even Jason Witten. As far as you know, uh, you know he may be the, the the symbol of the team. Maybe be the face of the franchise in a lot of ways, just like Dak is. But that's not who the Dallas Cowboys are when they need to win the fo- football game. When they need to win the football game, they have these guys. These five guys. They go crush the four guys that are in front of them, and they, we let our running back run run over their bodies while they're still warm. So I. I I think that this this recommitting to that, uh, make you know making the off season off uh, offensive line uh, acquisition section complete and showing you what we have at that section uh, is is excellent. And then as far as the player goes, incredible athlete. I mean, really, he's he's you know if he had maybe just another inch inch and a half on his arms, he would be definitely taken in the top ten as a left tackle prospect, uh, despite even what his his uh, mediocre tape from this season uh, looked like. You know, if if you if you watch his tape, just forget some of the. You just have to like look past the Maryland game and some of these games where he just had terrible tape out there, uh, and you just have to realize that he had some injury issues. This is a guy who I think. You know, with his athleticism, uh, his his demeanor, uh, and you know, and I, you know, obviously the offensive, the profile, the athletic profile fits a little bit better in guard because of his length. But I also think that there's other factors that 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 uh, help that. It, it took me a long time to see the guard part of him because that that was that was an issue. And you and I talked about this early on in the process when I watched him. Um, it, it took me a little bit longer to see the guy, the guard side of him, but once uh, you started to realize the kind of demeanor he has, you know, because he, because he, because he, he doesn't, he's so, he's got no body fat. It looks like, you know, and no. so he's, it, it, it looks like he's, he's too svelte, you know, and not, and not enough anchor in there. But the dude is strong, and and he gets, he's extremely flexible, which allows him to unlock his, uh, his, you know lower body uh, power and explosion, which allows him to anchor well. So I'm excited about this kid, uh, you know, local guy from Coppell, um, you know, which is uh, where a lot of these players, uh, you know, retire to. Um, so it's, it's interesting uh, to, to see him out there and, and, uh, and a local guy finally kind of be getting another, lo- you know, another Cowboys fan getting the, to live the dream of playing for the Cowboys. Yeah, we talked about on the podcast uh, a couple weeks before the draft. What do the Cowboys look uh, for in offensive linemen, uh, especially in the first few rounds? And they look for college left tackles that played in a lot of games, um, and that's Connor Williams. Super uh, super good as a freshman, was an All-American as a sophomore. Uh, this was an easy pick for them. I was told uh, on day two, um, coming into that pick, that they had their offensive line ranks, Connor Williams, Austin Corbett, Will Hernandez. So I, I know a lot of people wow. really liked Will Hernandez in, in, in Dallas, but um, there was some legitimate concerns about his athleticism and the ability to pick up a playbook. Uh, they absolutely love Connor Williams. They even potentially contemplated moving up to the top 36 picks, um, but they decided to stand pat, did it, um, love that pick. All right, the last pick that we're going to talk about today is wide receiver Michael Gallup. Uh, Michael Gallup was uh, a favorite of mine in the draft 
because he really doesn't have a weakness. Um, he d- doesn't have a great strength, but what I love about him is his ability to play uh, with physicalness. He, he plays with an edge that reminds me a lot of Michael Thomas uh, in New Orleans. Um, again, doesn't do anything great, but he can run routes. He can catch the balls in contested areas. Um, he can play the Z. He can play the 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 slot. He can play the X. Um, I think he makes a lot of sense in the Cowboys' offense now because I, I kind of feel like they might be going to more of a positionless wide receiver core where they can rotate and move these guys depending on the matchup. So if they get um, if they get some smaller corners on the outside that they're going against, every, you know, in a certain week, maybe they put in a. Uh, uh, Michael Gallup on the outside who can win jump balls. If they are going against bigger corners, maybe they use uh, more of a Tavon Austin on the outside, who we're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, I, I, I think Gallup's ceiling is probably a high-end number two receiver, um, but there is a lot to like about his game. What did you think of Michael Gallup? Uh, you know, I I went back to look at my notes because Gallup was actually one of the guys that I had done like really early on in, in wide receivers because Jeffrey was such a big fan of his and and I remember you had said something and the note that I put in there that I actually had to figure out what it meant was exhausting and I and I couldn't mm. figure out what it meant and and I and I now after re- going back and watching the game that I had on when I wrote that note it was the uh, was it Ohio State. No, it was some big program. It might have been. I think it was Ohio State. I can't Alabama. remember. Alabama. It was Alabama. Alabama. It was the Alabama. He yep. wore them out, dude. And that, uh, like, that's the thing is that he's. That's what it is. He's physical, you know. But Brett, Des Bryant's physical. But what's 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 more than that is that he's physical and he's so consistent. Like, I mean, the thing mm-hmm. is, is that he is. Like, it's just going to happen over and over and over again, you know. And there's something, you know, if you've ever played competitive sports, like. There's something so, um, I guess the word is disheartening, uh, or just 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 like there's something that breaks you whenever you play a player when you play against a player who is consistently solid over and over again because it's just so like you know maybe he's not flashy and like making huge plays and embarrassing you but it's just like you know you're just taking loss after loss after loss and that's what i feel like this guy does is that you know he may not catch every pass but he's gonna beat you in every route you know he's gonna he's gonna get open he's he's not gonna what the way you described him is that he doesn't you know he doesn't have a, a weakness he does everything pretty good you know, and I think that that allows for him to find ways to beat players a, a lot, and he 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 gets separation despite you know he you know if you look at his numbers, his athletic profile, very I mean just probably the definition of an of an average NFL wide receiver. He's doing it sure. all. He's doing it all uh, through technique, uh, through uh, you know uh, tenacity, uh, through and through will, and and I think that. Those are the kind of things that he's. This is the kind of guy to me that reads like a high floor guy who probably doesn't have a great ceiling because I just don't know his athleticism is going to get anywhere. But this is a guy who could be a steady, reliable right wide receiver who can actually improve a little bit just by getting more savvy and more intelligent as the years go by. Uh, but this is a guy who you you could you know plug into your lineup and he could be a receiver on your team for ten years. You know, I just I Absolutely. feel like he's that that kind of guy where he's going to be a great vet wide receiver. Whereas I feel like Dez, you know, he's a more physical and more uh, explosive type. 
who's now struggling as that explosion and, and physicality is kind of waning in his later years because he's not doing the things to kind of uh, counteract that in his craft. I feel like this guy is all about craft. You know, he's always, all, always been all about craft. So that as, once he gets NFL coaching and he's doing this full time and he's seeing you know more advanced routes and everything, he's gonna he's gonna continue to maybe age like a fine wine. You know, maybe not you know so impressive, but uh, as opposed to you know fading out at the end of his career, he'll be steady for a lot longer and maybe even improve a little bit. Uh, I I don't rely too much on college numbers uh, for pure evaluations, but here's one that I thought was super interesting because it really describes the player that he is. For the last two seasons, he has led college football in yards after the catch. And when you look at his numbers running a 4-5-1 at the combine with uh, you know, a 1-6-0, 10-yard split, He's not a guy that's going to run away from people. No. He's just do he's creating yards Creative. after the catch because he's a he he knows how to make people's miss, but he's also so physical. Arm tackles are not going to bring him down. Uh, I, again, love 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 him as a number 2 receiver. I still think they need to find an X, but could he be Michael Crabtree in the NFL? Yeah, I I think that's not a bad comparison for him. So, um though those three picks I I when you really look at all those three picks together, uh, I think they make a lot of sense. Even though I don't love Van Der Esch, those three make a ton of sense for what this team needs. But we're also going to talk about two trades that the Cowboys made this weekend very quickly. Uh, and they actually kind of tie together. Uh, it was announced on day three that the Cowboys traded a six-round pick for Tavon Austin. Um, in their pre-draft or post-draft press conference, uh, Stephen Jones mentioned that the Cowboys are going to use him primarily as a running back, uh, kick returner, punt returner, uh, in that Lance Dunbar role. Um, and after the Tavon Austin trade, they traded Ryan Switzer, uh, the receiver they drafted last year in the fourth round, for Jihad Ward of the Raiders, the defensive tackle. What were your thoughts on the two trades? Because they do kind of tie together. Uh, I thought the Tavon Austin uh, immediately um... – excited me because I know I just know that, that player is you know and and I think that having also just played him this year uh you know and seen kind of just how you know players like that you you know them you know like when they get the ball in their hands in space they're electric you know and it's like they they're dangerous and um and I I just remember Can I add one, something real quick really yeah. really quickly yeah um we always talk about that Lance Dunbar role Tavon Austin is the best version of that exactly. role that you could probably Ex- get in the NFL. Exactly. Right now. Yeah. That's the thing is that is that is that you knew the need. Like you and I have been talking about this role for a while, and 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 I specifically have been talking about how they should be trying to find a guy who could combine that role with the Lucky Whitehead role. Because the problem was having Lucky Whitehead and Dunbar. You you, you got to yeah, be able to find a redundant. guy who can do both. You know, There's, it's, it was kind of ridiculous that they couldn't do that. And so this is a guy who not only can do both, but is probably 100% better than both of those two players at those jobs. And and so, you know, I think that, you know, there's been a, there's been a, uh, a t- there's been talk, you know, throughout the, the, this whole time of, you know, if, if Sean McVay can't find a way to use this guy, how can the, how can the Cowboys? And first of all, uh, 
I'm just really kind of tired of this whole defeatist attitude about things in general. But, but I mean, this is the most ridiculous one because this is the one that you've actually seen them use before, guys. Like, this is, they've done this before. You've seen them use this position. It's not, they're not having to create anything. They've already created it. So I, I, I just feel like when you, when you, all you have to do is examine that role. And then try to examine, imagine what, you know, Dunbar's production would have been like if Dunbar had been Taven Austin, <laughs> you know, and like, you know, some of those plays where, you know, he's, you know, he's able to, uh, you know, take him to th- 20, 30 yards, you know, on a dump off, Tavon might have taken to the house, you know, and, and some of these reverses, you know, and, 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 and I think the, the, to me, the, the the reverse is the tie between these two traits. You know, you talk, you want to talk about the ghost, the ghost sweep. I remember the first two times that they handed the ball to Switzer on the on the reverse sweep on the ghost motion jet sweep, however whatever you want, however you refer to the tom- terminology to, um, the orbital sweep. How, you know they do with several different kind of things. As soon as he got the ball and then he started doing like I, I you could tell that this is not his thing. You know, like he just mm-hmm. like he has a lot of skills, um, but I just don't think that like. Turning the corner, um, uh, you know, turning the corner like that, you know, doing that sort of skill set, no, you know, altering your speed to play with defenders. I think it's just a different kind of skill set than than uh, than most people are used to, and he just, I don't think he was good at it. So when you when you talk about that, you limit him in that role. Then it becomes, is he the Beasley replacement? Well, he's kind of a different receiver than Beasley, right? And so it, sure. he's he's not the guy that's necessarily going to be as easy to uh, win in the slot right away that at least Beasley hypothetically should be doing. Now, I don't know. Is Beasley still that guy? That remains to be seen. Um, and so when you look at it, at that point with Taven Austin, I mean, Taven's basically taken Switzer's job. Now, I immediately came out and said that I didn't think that it put Beasley's job – I mean, a, a Switzer – Someone asked me if it, it put Switzer and Beasley's job in, in, in jeopardy, and I I did I answered that I didn't think it immediately did. Um, I, I think that the, the the thought process was that they could get something for Switzer. That was the, uh, you know, and it sounded like that actually Oakland approached them with some you know, and once they said the name Jihad Ward, they clearly were interested because they knew that you know Switzer was maybe a little bit redundant and wasn't, you know, that Versace was going to be interested in using him in Oakland. And Jihad Ward, you know, I think we can now transition into talking to the player. I think, you know, go ahead and talk to us about Jihad Ward because, you know, obviously that was a guy uh, that they, that was tempting enough for them to go ahead and trade away a player they had only had for a year. Yeah, so I want to go back to Tavon really quickly. Um, I tweeted this out last year before the season started, but Tavon Austin is a guy that if you talk to coaches or scouts or players across the league he is a guy that is very underrated um from the national fan base uh, i i know a lot of this has to do with fantasy football and people looking at stats his numbers are never going to look good but on the field his tactical value is so insane because of his speed it's just hard to stop him once you get him in space um the rams last year used him a bunch on that kind of a ghost jet sweep and defenses had to honor it, um, and, and Dallas did that. The same, the same thing in the Rams game this year. Dallas had to honor that speed and girly rip through them. And then when they did hand the ball off to Tavon, you saw what kind of plays he can make in space. 
I, I, I listen. I'm not a guy that is super high on Scott Linehan, but they can find a way to use Tavon Austin, and I think even on special teams, I, I like Switzer's returnability. Tavon is uh, so much more electric than what uh, than what Switzer is as a returner. Um, I'm, I'm I'm really excited about this move, even if it's just a one year move for Dallas. I, I like the potential uh, of a Tavon Austin. Tavon Austin in this offense. So we're, we're going to be watching to see how that plays out. Um, again, guys, we're going to break down every single pick over the, this next week. We will take a deep dive into um, all of these players. We'll talk about the day three picks because they had a bunch of them. We will talk about some of the undrafted free agents. So make sure you guys are staying tuned. Uh, tuned to the Locked On Cowboys podcast. Follow Landon at McCoolBTB. Uh, I'm at Marcus underscore Mosier, and we will see you guys next time. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.